The month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we remember and think about people that are going through anxiety, depression, recovery from addiction. If you were to Google any of the, of the ways that people experience healing in these areas, any study, you'd find that one of the universal themes is hope. It's hope. That if you have hope in the midst of a difficult situation, that you can move forward and experience healing. There's a counselor by the name of Dale Archer who worked with hurricane victims from Rita and Katrina. And what he did was he started to recognize that there were two types of people that he counseled. The first type was psychological victims. And what psychological victims did was they looked at the past They looked at everything that was going wrong. They blamed their circumstances and people in their life for all the things that had happened to them, and they didn't grow, and they didn't take the step towards healing. But then there was a second group of people that Dale Archer experienced. Those people were known as psychological survivors. They grieved and they went through pain, but they relied on other people they saw that who they were today wasn't who they were going to be. They, they realized that this was a moment in time. They fought and they persisted. Today, we're talking about hope in this series, Simply Christian, where we talk about the misconceptions of the Christian faith. And hope is one of those misconceptions because what some of us believe is hope is out there, but it's not right here. So if you're a pessimist, you deny the existence of hope. If you're an optimist, hope becomes wishful thinking. If you're a traditionalist, hope's in the past. If you're an idealist, hope is in the future. But what we find is this, is that the hope that the Bible talks about is right here and not out there. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 3 to 9 on your mobile devices or uh, in your Bibles in your hand. And uh, just to set up this passage, 1 Peter is written to a group of house churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. The people in this passage have never met Jesus in person. They've come to know who Jesus is, but in following Jesus, they experienced extreme persecution they, they were ostracized from the community. No one knew who Jesus was other than the fact that he was this Jewish man that walked there and they're following him. And the author of 1 Peter has to enter this situation. And these first couple verses are really going to frame the rest of this book. So let's read this together. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into a new inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed." 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. For you, verse 9, are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The author of 1 Peter has a difficult task. If the author focuses too much on the bad situation, that dismisses Jesus' work in their lives. If the author focuses too much on the positive hope of Jesus but dismisses their current circumstance, then they're not dealing in terms of the real grief and the pain that's happening. But what we find in this passage is the author of 1 Peter walks this tightrope that's helpful to us. So there's two ideas that emerge from this passage to help us understand what the author is trying to convey to the audience of the past and for us today. The two points are this, real hope in Jesus embraces reality rather than dismissing it. And later on, we'll talk about real hope in Jesus motivates practice, not passivity. Take your Bibles with me as we look at the first point. Real hope in Jesus embraces reality rather than dismissing it. You see, what the author of 1 Peter does is is they take time to really describe what happens in the Christian life. And so to walk that tightrope, what the author of 1 Peter does is he starts with the positive reality. And the positive reality starts with this idea of new birth. Jesus talked about new birth in John 3. There's a famous discussion with a a teacher by the name of Nicodemus. And he makes this comment to Jesus. He's saying, you're telling me I have to be born again? I have to be born of my mom again? No, it's not a physical rebirth, but it was a spiritual one. And so as Peter is talking about this passage, as he's sharing about this, he's saying, don't forget your new birth. And there's three ideas connected to new birth. First, in verse three, that new birth brings a new hope. It's a new viewpoint. It's a new way of looking at life. And then in verse four, a new birth brings a new inheritance, not an inheritance that can be stolen from a brother like from a brother or a sister, not an inheritance that goes down with the stock market, but an inheritance that's in heaven, inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And then lastly, what the author of 1 Peter does is points to verse 5, that new birth leads to a new salvation. It leads to the fact that we no longer have to live life without purpose, without meaning, but in following Jesus, we can experience great joy, great peace. What is this all saying to us? What is the author of Peter trying to help us understand? The author of 1 Peter is trying to help us understand this. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. In a world that cuts you down, in a world full of chaos and pain, in a world where when you even make the right decision, you can suffer, you are loved by Jesus Christ. You are accepted by him. If you could only understand the positive reality of who you are in Jesus, it would change the way that you live today. 
See, the author of 1 Peter wants to start with this positive reality because when we know who we are, when we know what Jesus Christ has done for us, it changes the way that we live. You see, the people that first read this passage, because of following Jesus, they lived on the margins of society. You know, and some of you have experienced this type of suffering. Not a suffering for doing something wrong, not a suffering for, for maybe something that was accidental, but you decided not to fudge the numbers on your spreadsheet. You decided to tell the truth in a relationship. You decided to take a big next step of faith and maybe not take that promotion. You see, when you follow Jesus, sometimes in doing the right things, you experience suffering. But at the end of the day, what the author of 1 Peter is saying to us, and he's saying to this first audience is this, don't forget who you are. Your value, your acceptance, your importance, your purpose comes from Jesus. But then the author of 1 Peter moves on. And what, what they begin to say is they talk about the negative reality the negative reality is this. If you go to verse six, it says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, that you've been grieved by various trials. You've been grieved by various trials. You see, the author of 1 Peter says, you know what, you don't have to throw your mind away to be a Christian. You don't have to just live with hope, with wishful thinking. You see, there's a couple repeated phrases here that are very important. First of all, the idea of trials and sufferings. First Peter is going to pick that up. So I would encourage you, you know, in this Memorial Day weekend, maybe to read First Peter in one sitting, because you'll see that this passage actually sparks the rest of it. But, but the author talks about suffering and grief, not as if it's dismissed. You see, just because you follow Jesus, just because you live in a chaotic world, doesn't mean you won't experience pain doesn't mean that Jesus is asking you to dismiss that. You see, one of the interesting things about this passage, as you look at 1 Peter 1.4, and as we've already talked about inheritance, why would the author of 1 Peter talk about inheritance? Because many people who were following Jesus may have lost their inheritance. Land was a big deal. Money was a big deal. To be the firstborn, to receive an inheritance meant the world. It, it could change your family's life. And some scholars believe that they had actually lost their inheritance. And do you see what Peter's saying? He's saying, don't miss out. Don't miss out on this. Your inheritance is in heaven and it can never perish, spoil, or fade. You know, I think about this passage and I think about a season in my own life. I, uh, I moved to Rochester for one reason, and that was to marry my wife. And um, I really didn't have a plan. You know, if you would have asked me at 20 years old, you know, you're going to move, you know, a couple of years later to marry your wife, I would have said, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Thank God we don't live on the wisdom from our 20-year-old self. But it wasn't an easy entry to Rochester. In the first couple months and the first couple years, I found myself selling cell phones at a hut in BJ's. 
I learned a lot of hacks from Apple iPhones and Android and Google phones. But what I questioned was, I questioned if God really cared about me. I questioned why God had brought me to Rochester. I questioned my value and my worth. How many of you have ever been there? How many of you have ever been at that place where you just wondered, does God even care anymore? But as I look back at that season, I regret not seeing the hope in the midst of that. You see, in the few months that I worked at that cell phone hut, I, I had opportunities to pray with my coworkers. We talked about theology, we talked about life. There was a moment that I, even just ministering to customers, I'll never forget the day that a family showed up and they said, you know, our daughter has died, my wife has died, can you help? And this, these in-laws and this husband who lost their wife are just anxious because they want to cut the plan so that they don't lose out on all this money. And they, they were just very, very anxious. And in that moment, I was actually praying and asking God to help, and they left, experienced the grace of God. As I look at my life and as you think about those moments, maybe you're going through a season right now. See, embracing reality doesn't say you need to throw out your brain, you need to just make everything positive. No, embracing morality means this. It ain't easy selling cell phones for someone like me. The job's tough. The diagnosis is tough. It's not easy to hear that news. But when embracing reality says this, I'm gonna embrace the positive reality too that who I am in Jesus, that Jesus loves me, that the resurrection from the dead, that Jesus' death can radically change my life. That's the difference of hope. Is hope is saying this, it's in the right here and the right now and it's not out there. That's the hope in Jesus we're talking about. That no matter where you are, no matter who you are, that hope is here and available to you today in the reality of your situation. So point number one is this, real hope in Jesus embraces the reality instead of dismissing it. And secondly is this, real hope in Jesus motivates practice rather than passivity. Let's look at verse uh, seven right now. And it says this, it says that, that you once that, that your faith has been tested in genuineness as if gold purified by fire, as in gold purified by fire. You see, when we talk about this passage, the people that, that are first reading it, they are being radically changed by the gospel. You see, Christianity isn't I do so that I can earn God's favor. No, it's God loving us and us responding to that. You see, what, what has happened is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has radically changed the people in this passage, and they are living out their faith. But it's difficult. And in some ways, the rest of the first Peter is going to point out to this fact that, that living with hope is continuing to practice your faith. It might be continuing transformation no matter what the result is. You know, what were these first Christians experiencing? What did their lives look like? You know, there's a letter to a Roman leader that scholars have found, Diognetus. And he asked for someone to write about the Christians at this time. 
And this is what this person says about the Christians. They share their meals, not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of their flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven, obedient to the laws. They yet live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they are not understood, they are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but they possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They are defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse. Deference is their response to insult. Yeah, that's a powerful description of Christians. What if we lived like that today? And you can see in 1 Peter that the power of the followers of Jesus was that their lives were changed, that they were living out their faith in radical ways, very, very different from the culture. So when we think about practicing our faith, what we have to begin to think about is embracing the past work of Jesus in us. Look at verse three. It says this, blessed be to the God and Father who according to his great mercy. You see, when we experience the mercy of God, when we experience the grace of God, it radically changes us. And the rest of this passage talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And, and if you want to know anything of what we're about as a church, we're about one thing. We're about Jesus Christ. We're about that the power of Jesus changes lives. And the author of 1 Peter says this, it is a fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And those implications and the power of why you're here in the first century, of why we're here in the 21st century, is because it's the truth of the gospel, that it's good news to be believed. It's not just good advice. So when we think about hope in these situations, what, what the author of 1 Peter is saying is what Jesus has done in the past motivates us to practice today. What does that look like? It looks like this. Last week, five individuals got baptized. We watched the videos of them telling their stories. They're saying, who I was yesterday is nothing like who I am today because of Jesus. We stand in the midst of baptism and we take these acts of hope and we say this, that, that because of what Jesus has done in the past, I can practice my faith in the present. But later on, it's not only about what Jesus has done in the past, it's what Jesus has done, what he will do in the future. Take a look at this. We talked about the inheritance in verse four, but verse nine says this, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, Peter is looking at the momentary sufferings. He's seeing the little while. He's seeing all of these things happening, and he's sharing this message with us, and he's saying this, you are experiencing salvation right now, but don't forget that heaven is a real reality. Don't forget that heaven transforms the way you act today, that heaven is not just a place, but it's a mindset. It changes the way we act. It changes our motivations and our priorities. It changes the way that we see life. See, ultimately, when we look to the future, when we see what Christ has done in us, it allows us not to look at suffering, that it's our fault, that we've done something wrong. But no, it allows us to see suffering and pain and hope in the eyes of this. It's a little while. 
Jesus one day will make the sad things untrue, as J.R. Tolkien said. See, there's power. If you can imagine being the marginalized of society, you know, maybe, maybe you're not marginalized by your bank account number. Maybe you're marginalized because you feel lonely today or you've experienced an addiction. But, but the truth of this message is that, that God is calling us to say this. You don't have to be a psychological victim. You don't have to be a psychological victim, but you can be a psychological survivor, not because of what you've done, but because what Jesus has done in the past for you and what Jesus will do in the future. As we think about this idea, as we think about this point emerging that that God is calling us to practice our faith, not passivity, I could, there's many, many examples, but I want to share with you one example. For many of you, you might know the background of the song Amazing Grace, Today, we're going to watch a clip from Wintley Phipps, who's a singer. He's sung through, uh, through many of the presidents. He sang at many famous places. But I want you to hear him tell the story of Amazing Grace through the eyes of hope. Let's watch this video together. Anybody tonight know who wrote that song? I heard it, a man by the name of John Newton. But do you know what John Newton did before he became a Christian? He was the captain of a slave ship. And many believe heard this melody that sounds very much like a West African sorrow chant and wrote the words Amazing Grace and set his words to a slave melody. I looked up that song. I believe God wanted that song written just the way it was written, just so that we would be reminded that as Christians, whether black or white, free or bond, in his eyes, we're all connected. We are connected. And we are connected by God's amazing grace. We are connected by God's amazing grace. Woo! I looked up that song in the Library of Congress. I looked up, I went to the Library of Congress, I looked up that song, and wherever you see it authentically printed, you know what it says? Words, John Newton, melody unknown. Tell the Lord, when I get to heaven, I want to meet Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but boy, I want to meet that slave called unknown. When we think about the slave unknown, that's the hero of the story. It's not John Newton. Because you know what an act of hope is? 
It's singing African spiritual songs on a slave ship, not knowing what the future holds. Singing in one of the most hopeless situations, not knowing that your song that you're singing one day would be the crowning place of grace and reconciliation. Hope acts. And when you think of amazing grace, it's inspired racial reconciliation. And thank God for John Newton writing the words, but thank God for those unknown slaves that would sing that song in that boat. You see, when you have hope, it motivates you to practice your, your faith. For some of you today, you took the act of hope of actually showing up here and singing a song, and your situation looks so bleak. You might have gotten the diagnosis you didn't want. You might have been let go from your job. But the fact that you're here is an act of hope in Jesus. It's an act of hope to read your Bible when for three to six months you don't know what it's saying and you're not getting anything out of it. It's an act of hope to pray when something doesn't seem to be happening. It's an act of hope to pray for the prodigal son or daughter when they don't seem like they'll ever come back to Jesus. It's an act of hope to move into a new neighborhood, whether it's the suburbs or the city of Rochester, and to look at all your neighbors and say this, they don't know Jesus yet, but they will. That's an act of hope. You know, I think of one of our partner ministries, 441. They're down uh, in the Beechwood neighborhood, a place of crime and poverty. And just a few weeks ago, some of you went out there and you planted gardens there. It's an act of hope to plant a garden in the city because it says this, there's hope for today, but I believe that God wants to do something more in the future. See, hope doesn't just leave you alone. Hope motivates you to practice your faith. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most in the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. How you doing, church? How you doing? You know, when, when I hear this, I think about growing up in the church, and we heard, this, we heard this line that they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I can tell you what, I've never met a person like that. But including myself, I've met many people that are so earthly-minded, they're no heavenly good. That we're so focused on the negative reality. We're so focused on, on everything else that could go wrong in the world. When Jesus is saying this, you have the hope for the here and the now. That there's no such thing as a hopeless situation. There's no such thing as not growing. There's no such thing as seeing the grace of God at work. You know, we're on, <coughs> excuse me for one moment. You know, if we were at church growing up, every time I take a drink of water, you guys say amen. So let's try that one more time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You know, we're on a live stream right now. And I want to say hello to all our friends that are watching us live. And as I've been praying and thinking through this message, I've been praying for each one of you. You know, on Sunday or on Saturdays, I, I walk each seat and I pray for you. And um, this morning I was texting a friend who um, is in cancer treatment. 
and uh, I was thinking about him specifically. And I was thinking and praying that he would experience hope and maybe he's watching right now. But here's the deal. When we talk about hope, we think of it just for the crisis, just for things when it's dark, just when things aren't, aren't working. And I hope my friend has hope and maybe you're in crisis here. But I wanna tell you this, hope is big enough no matter what your circumstances are. Hope is big enough for the dead-end job. Hope is big enough for the kids that are driving you nuts. Hope is big enough for whatever season of life that you find yourself in. You see, the hope of Jesus is for the here and now and not just out there. You see, we live in that reality. Yeah, we can be a Christian and you can follow Jesus and you don't have to dismiss the negative things going on. Just have the positive in view of knowing who you are in Jesus. And you also don't have to suffer paralysis by analysis. There's probably things that God is calling you to do today as an act of hope. Sometimes it's, it's doing the thing that's really radical. Other times it's being faithful with what God has. It's showing up to work on Monday morning at 9 a.m. It's waking up on time. It's still reading your Bible. And other times it's doing radical things, moving to other places. But the truth of the matter is this, is hope is based on Jesus and it can be experienced today. You know, I wanna take a few moments before you know, we head into Memorial Day. I want to give you an opportunity um, to pray. And I want to give you a few moments of silence because I want to give you the opportunity that maybe there's a situation in your life that you're asking God for hope. And instead of us rushing, I want to give you that moment and then I'll pray and close the service. So let's uh, bow and close our eyes. And as you pray, just say, ask God, where's the place in my life that I need hope the most? Heavenly Father, we live in a broken and chaotic world. We live that even when we do right, we suffer for it. But as we look at this passage in 1 Peter, as we live this out the rest of the week, we know that you're a God that doesn't dismiss reality but calls us to embrace it. You know the pain and the suffering that we've experienced because you too have experienced that through, your, through the death and resurrection on the cross. So Lord, we, we hold that. And Lord, I pray today for each and every single individual here, whether they're online or whether they're sitting in the pews here, or the, the chairs here, Lord, I pray that, that in their most desperate need of hope, whatever the situation may be, however high, however big it might be, that each person here would experience your hope in a new and a fresh way in the right here and the right now. Pray this all in your name, the resurrection and life. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.